On today's show, a lot of heartburn over the proposed food tax increase. And the question, censure over impeachment. Representative Ben McAdams is on the censure train. Tune in Monday through Thursday, 9 to 11 for Dave and Dijanovic. I spent my college days throwing perfect passes and trash-talking BYU. And I spent my college career smashing Utah Utes' faces into the mud. I'm Jason Buck. And I'm Scott Mitchell. After our careers in the NFL, we still talk trash. But mostly to each other on our podcast, Rivals. We talk all things football, college, and NFL. A little bit about life and growing up rivals. Download it each week wherever you get your podcasts or on the KSL Sports app. Go Cougs! And go Utes! I mean, I would say there's no question, Jess, that you're absolutely right about that. And, you know, when I went to TED for the first time and I was so blown away by the speakers and then I started going to TED and I started watching TED Talks and everybody around me started watching TED Talks and all of a sudden everyone's watching TED Talks. Well, you know, what dawned on me recently is that is how everything happened for our entire history as a species up until radio and television. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got John Bates. John, thanks for making time. My pleasure. Thank you. So give us the 30-second elevator pitch on uh, on your background and what you're up to these days. Well, my why is to bring out what's awesome inside every person so it can live in the world and make a real difference. And how I do that is through leadership communications training that's based in human evolutionary biology and human neurophysiology, so I can show people not only what works when it comes to communicating with human beings, but why it works based in science. I love it. So you've done a lot of TEDx talks and TED and coached all sorts of folks, and uh, it was really fun when I was getting ready for this um, to see that you'd coached Dolph Lundgren because I just watched his TED talk not knowing that you had been involved with that. So that was really kind of a fun connection oh, for me. Cool. That's cool. Um, when, so, when was that, by the way? Gosh, you know, I would have to go look at the date. I think it was 2016 or something. Okay. 20, maybe late 2016. Okay. Uh, but boy, that was a real pleasure. I'll tell you, Dolph Lundgren is an amazing, amazing guy. As you probably could tell from that, uh, from his talk. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really didn't see it going where it went. So it was a great surprise and like, uh, you know, really meaningful subject matter that, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't necessarily expect that level of depth or that he was going to go there, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that I like to tell people is that as a quote from a guy named Les Brown, which says that people don't connect with your successes, they connect with your messes. Your message is in your mess. And I have to say, Dolph was very willing to talk about that. I think he came wanting to talk about that. And I think that the the real value is when someone shares something that real and that deep, it, it's meaningful. I mean, you, you know, he worked out some stuff the hard way and then shared it with us so we can get it the easy way. Well, isn't it so easy to think 
you know, somebody who, who has that kind of success that the world recognizes and the Rocky movies and all the cool action stuff, right? Um, you don't expect to hear him yeah. talking about, you know, being abused by his dad and all the, the things that he ended up doing as mistakes in his life. You end up, you know, it, it seems like the way the media pushes us is to talk about the positives and, and all the admirable things and the look at me, look at me style. And I think by going that other direction, I think I, I should check, but I think it has like 11 million views so far or something. And it seems it, like that, like super legit authenticity uh, yes. was so magnetic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and you know, that's the thing. It's, it's, it's one of the core principles of everything that I do, which is why I was so happy that Dolph was down with that and came wanting to do that. It, the fundamental core, I think, to great communication and great leadership is that deep authenticity. And the interesting thing is that it is very, very wonderful to watch and be around, but it is very, very difficult to do, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, and I feel like you do that as well. I mean, when you talk about starting your dot-com back in 97 and raising $80 million and then it didn't turn into Google, you know, and, and no. not covering that yeah. up, but actually talking about it. Well, you know, and it, that was a hard thing for me to do for a long time. It still kind of knots me up to think that I just blew 80 million of somebody else's dollars. And at the same time, we gave it a really good run. We, you know, we certainly gave it everything we had and we did what seemed like the smartest things at the time. But I still don't want to share that, you know, like I'd much rather say I raised $80 million and handed them back $8 billion. But uh, that's not what happened. And, and what I realized over time was that I had learned some lessons in that experience that meant something to other people. But in order to really get those lessons across, I had to talk about what a massive failure I had, you know? Yeah. Well, can you, can you tell us about this work you do now and, and um, about some of that science behind why these techniques work? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, so fundamentally, I tell people communicating with human beings is not logical. It's biological. And once you understand the biology, you can make it logical again. But if you go in thinking that logic by itself should win, you'll always lose to someone who has the logic part handled, but also has that other special something. So kind of the question is, what is that special something? And for me, from all the reading that I've done and the research that I've done, that fundamental, that something special, that something else that people who seem to win consistently at pitch competitions and who get their business ideas implemented and who get their teams to take action, the thing that they have beyond just logic is an emotional connection. And of course, you know, Jess, you can imagine what it's like to go in and tell a high level CEO they need to make an emotional connection. <laughs> you know, sometimes there's some pushback, right? And so, you know, fundamentally, though, it's not that everybody has to be holding hands and crying and, you know, having this tearful emotional moment. It's just some sort of a connection. And if you'd like me to, I can tell you the fundamental biology underneath that, if that would be interesting. Sure. 
Okay, so this, so, you know, Jess and anybody listening, this is one of the most fundamentally differentiating pieces of information that I ever got in my life. And I remember when this all really landed for me and I really got it, my jaw just hit the floor and it completely radically altered how I did everything in my life around communication. So it's one of those kind of you know, like, don't be checking out into something else. This is really worth listening. So uh, if you look at a human brain and you take a cross-section of the human brain, in the middle, you see the brain stem, the most ancient part of our brain. And then wrapped around that is the midbrain. And together, these two pieces of our brain form what's called the paleomammalian brain or the limbic system, or the emotional brain, three names for the same thing. And this is the very old part of our brain, paleomammalian. And then wrapped around that is the cerebral cortex, what's also called the neocortex. And of course, neo means new. That's the new brain wrapped around the old brain. Now, here's, here's, what, you know, here's how this starts to play out in communication. The old brain, the paleomammalian brain, has been around for a really long time. And so two big things come from that. One is that it has it is really good at keeping us alive because that's been its job this whole time. So it sees things that we would never consciously notice, but it sees them and notices them. And it smells things like pheromones. It might see things like your facial micro gestures, things you'll never consciously notice, but your paleomammalian brain sees it. And it'll smell things, it'll hear things, notice patterns in things long before your your conscious brain ever does, if your conscious brain ever even would. And it also, because it's been around so long, this paleomammalian ancient brain is the part of the brain that actually has its hands on the steering wheel of our ability to take action. So all of our actions come from the paleomammalian brain, not the logical neocortex. Now, there's an interesting thing because these two pieces of the brain communicate with us differently. The emotional brain does not have access to language or logic or reason. That stuff came later with the neocortex, the cerebral cortex, the new brain. The old brain, the paleomammalian brain, doesn't have access to language or logic or reason. So the way that it communicates with us is through gut feelings. You've had that, you know, feel, oh, I just doesn't feel right. I don't feel like doing that. It doesn't seem like the right thing. Well, that's your paleomammalian brain communicating with you because it can't just tell you outright, hey, I just smelled their pheromones and, and they're up to something bad, you know, or whatever. Um, you know, they, they also might say, hey, I just read their facial micro gestures and they really like you. This is somebody we should hang out with. But that's going to come to you as a feeling, as a gut feeling. It's why your mom said, trust your gut, because they're usually right. But we all think we live in our neocortex, our cerebral cortex, the part of the brain with language and logic and reason. And you know, yes, you may weigh things out and check the boxes and, you know, prepare to make a logical decision. But when we actually put you in an fMRI machine, the most logical person in the world, if they have a normal functioning human brain, when we put them in an fMRI machine and watch them actually make that decision, 
the paleomammalian ancient brain fires first, making the decision. And then right after that, the neocortex fires, either agreeing with or disagreeing with, but not making the decision. Now, how this plays out in, you know, in business, let's talk about that, is like this. This is an example. So see, Jess, if you've had something similar go on for you. Do you like the product? Oh, yes, we like the product. Yeah, it's great. Do you think it's priced right? Yeah, that's a fair price. Mm -hmm. Do you think it would make a difference for you to have this product? Oh, yes, certainly. We'd, we'd love to have it. Well, you want to just sign a check and we'll start delivery? Uh, no, I, we're, we're going to, we, we still want to think about it a little bit. We're not quite ready yet. Now, does that sound familiar to you at all, Jess? Have you <laughs> ever had anything like that? Yeah, being that I got my first sales job when I was 15 and I, even as the CEO of an investment fund, still consider myself top sales guy. <laughs> yeah. You hear that right? a lot, right? And you, you hear you, that a lot. You know, uh, let's do this. I, I think about all these, these things that you're bringing up and there's so many implications for them. I, I've got a question I want to ask you. Let's do this. Let's take a quick sponsor break and then I've got a question for you, okay? Great. Okay, so John, right before the sponsor break, um, I was thinking about all the things that you're talking about, and I was thinking, you know, um, the show here, Leadership and People, um, so often for leaders to, to really progress, um, like it's not, a good enough, it's not good enough to just set an example. People have to find out you set a good example, right? Yep. And, yep. and you think about like just how many of, of the most influential leaders out there and, and the folks who've been able to help an entire organization want to go to the next level or want to tre start treating each other better or anything like this, it requires kind of that ability to express yourself in a public environment. Yet all of these uh, lizard brain <laughs> things you were bringing up drive so much fear. You know, the, it's almost cliche how much people dislike public speaking. There's all these things against it, yet it is such, it's almost like a superpower for leaders if they can get comfortable with it enough that people are identifying with them, right? Or how would you say that different? I mean, I would say there's no question, Jess, that you're absolutely right about that. And, you know, when I went to TED for the first time and I was so blown away by the speakers and then I started going to TED and I started watching TED Talks and everybody around me started watching TED Talks and all of a sudden everyone's watching TED Talks. Well, you know, the, what dawned on me recently is that is how everything happened for our entire history as a species up until radio and television. One person stood up in front of the group and made a suggestion or gave a speech or told them about an idea they had. And if they were really good at public speaking, it was much more likely that the idea would be implemented and they would be raised in their level of power and their level of prestige and everything. And if it didn't go well, Jess, this is why people are so scared of it, you might even get tossed out of the group. I mean, public speaking is dangerous. Look at Jesus, Joan of Arc, Martin Luther King, John F. Kennedy, Plato, you know, or Socrates, I guess it was. Like the list goes on. People who got noticed by the group and they get offed, right? So it's dangerous, but it's the number one thing that people will resonate with. It is the most powerful, in my opinion, communication tool that we have as human beings public speaking you know um i'm a i'm a big fan of the stoics and some of the modern guys who have interpreted the stoics or, or you know brought more yes. relevant stories ryan holiday's got a great book the obstacle is the way 
and yeah. uh, you hear about just these different folks who had who had things against them there was this you know guy you know kid wealthy parents were passed away the people in charge of his his will basically were stealing the money and yeah. uh, and so what does he do he works incredibly hard to become a great orator and and basically as an adult win the lawsuits to get his inheritance back which they had mostly squandered and he didn't really get that much but what yeah. he gained is this uh, really unparalleled opportunity to influence people and and his whole life got better even though he didn't get the money back from his inheritance uh, his whole life got so much better because he had you know taken the time to master that skill and he used to do things like put uh, rocks in his cheeks and give uh -huh. speeches as he walked up hills so he'd be winded <laughs> and like you, wow. know, you, you hear these things of just like paying the price to do what most people don't pay the price yeah. to do so that he could communicate that way and, and just what a benefit it was to the rest of his life, even though it didn't come easy to him. And I imagine yeah. you encounter so many people who it doesn't come easy to all these, all these different folks you coach and, and even like you said yourself. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, um, it, it is tough. It, it's, if, if it was easy, everybody would be doing it. Right. But uh, you know, the fundamental thing for me, Jess, that makes it uh, one of the big differentiators for people when you go see a talk between the really good speakers and the not so good speakers, and the same thing is also a big differentiator between the people who are less paralyzed by public speaking rather than more paralyzed, because I mean, everybody is scared if they're going to be honest about it. Um, one of the biggest differentiators is who do you have your attention on? And, you know, there's a binary equation in public speaking. You can either get up on stage and have your attention on yourself, or you can have your attention on the audience, but you cannot do both. And I always ask people, you know, I've given you a clue to the answer here, Jess, but I always ask people, who is nervous about? Is it about the audience or is it about you? And it's all about you. Being nervous is you worrying about what they think of you. And if that's where you stop, then that will always make it much, much, much harder to be comfortable and relaxed and really be a great speaker. <clears throat> the advice that I got a long time ago from Snoop Doggy Dog back when he was the D-O-double-G dog, no kidding, was don't be nervous, be at the service. <laughs> And that's some brilliant advice right there, huh? Yeah. You think about how many things when it comes to leadership and helping our people become better leaders at, at the companies we run, yep. um, just in general, like, how, you know, how that advice doesn't just apply in, in speaking. In fact, you know, oh, I, know we're about yeah. up, I know we're about up with time for, for this part of the episode, but, um, you know, maybe in the second half of the interview, we can, we can focus on that. Um, you know, to close out here, maybe let's do this. One of my favorite questions is asking people, um, what's a piece of advice you would have liked to have given a younger version of yourself? Oh, that's easy. Um, I will tell you one of the greatest pieces of advice is that I wish I would have given myself as a younger person. I wish I could have stepped in right after I lost that the company where we raised $80 million, bigwords.com. I wish I could have gone, I wish I'd go back and tell myself a quote from a guy named Louis L'Amour, who's a great Western novel writer. And uh, the quote says, he says, there will come a time when you think everything is finished. That is the beginning. <laughs> That's great advice. 
Yeah, I wish I would have treated it like that. I treated it like it was the end and I was just, you know, a total loser and not worth, you know, anything and should be embarrassed. And, you know, if I would have just said, okay, that was my $80 million MBA, what's next? Then uh, I think things would have, you know, I would have bounced back a lot faster. Let's say that. Sure. That's great. Well, listen, everybody, please tune back in to part two of our interview with John. We're going to keep getting his wisdom. Thanks so much.